the asylum part three although i had vowed to never return to the medical establishment again for any kind of help in regards to the current crisis i was experiencing i had spent days running from this new sound this this evolved sound one that i would liken to being sucked in or out of the matrix very choppy, very fast, very high-pitched. This was a scary sound to me. This, this dug up thoughts and memories. And it made me wonder there had to be a purpose. There had to be a reason for the sound. All I knew was it was not naturally originating from within me. No one else could hear it. I'm not sure why I could. Why it would come and go. Why there was no correlation to anything other than being in my apartment. That would change too over time and it would begin to follow me. So after days of trying to escape the matrix sound I found myself going the only place I could, which was to lay down in my bed. And that was when I first would describe it as the predator sound. It seemed as if it was planting words or questions in my mind, probing, digging. And I could do nothing about it. It's human nature. A thought pops in your head. And it's hard to hop off that train. And I found myself that evening trudging up memories from the past that even I had forgotten so, so far gone, so old, 30-year-old memories that I had, I had no right to remember in the first place. And that scared me, so I spent the rest of the night going in and out of my apartment, walking the streets, doing whatever I could to escape the sound, to escape my memories, to escape myself. I had to get away from myself. Or how does one do that? It seemed impossible. Finally, the sun came up that morning as I sat on my porch. Although a little bit lighter outside, the predator sound would still follow me. I found myself going wherever I could without plans, thinking I could outsmart the sound or whoever controlled it. I ended up at the top of the lookout sitting staring at the downtown core my eyes going back and forth counting the Canadian flags watching them whirl in the wind thinking whatever torturous experiment I'm in wouldn't be possible in a country like this that's where my delusion had brought me at one point 
I must have been in some form of experiment. But that would be illegal, I would remind myself. Unethical, immoral. These types of experiments were banned in the 70s, if not the 60s. People would push too hard, too far, and injuries would happen, if not death. So as I found there was no escaping the sound, I decided I would finish off that day. And throughout that day, I made the commitment to return to the hospital one more time. This occurred after I stood in the mirror, slicing myself once after the other, and again, and again, and again. What I would call the cutting game. The more pain inflicted in, into me and with, with the sound and with the changing of my ears, the opening of the ear canals, the peaking of the ears, the immense pain I felt every time I would cut myself. So to me it was a game. Who would give up first? Would the person controlling me stop? Or would I end up cutting myself so much to the point where I hit an artery and, and bled out? Common sense kicked in and I stopped the game and vowed I would return to the hospital in the morning. I just had to make it through one more night. I made it through that evening, twitching and tweaking and all over the place doing whatever I could, trying to turn from the sound that I couldn't even find the source of just where my brain perceived it was coming from. Morning came, I went to the store, I got some drinks, I hopped on the bus and went to the hospital. I walked up from the main road where I noticed the emergency entrance well, the, the entrance to the emergency room had been moved. So I went to the new entrance. This was the intake. Screening for COVID. I had explained I could not breathe with the mask on. It was too hot and I had difficulty breathing. I was told I was too bad. I would not be allowed entry into the hospital without a mask. I proceeded to the secondary door to enter the room where I was met by a nurse. The nurse blocked the entrance, telling me no mask, no entry. I explained my situation again. I can't breathe with the masks on. It's too hot. It's too humid. Well, if you can raise your voice to me, she said, then you can wear a mask. This went back and forth, and before I knew it, it seemed there must have been four or five nurses blocking the door. I wouldn't have it. So, in a moment of uncertainty and, 
and not very clear, I barged my way past the nurse into the emergency room where I walked towards the center of the room. Within seconds, there was not one, not two, three, but four police officers came rushing out of the back of the emergency room towards me. I still don't know why they were there to this day. They had no other prisoner with them. They had no reason to be at the hospital. It was as if they were there waiting for me. That wasn't the thought I had at the time. Just, I found it curious that four police officers were so readily available to come and take me. I was given an ultimatum. Either wear the mask or leave the hospital. At this point, I stretched out my arms and I showed him all of the slices, all of the cuts fresh from yesterday, some still ready to pop open and, and re-bleed. Look, look, I screamed. Look, I'm thinking of hurting myself. I've been hurting myself. I need help. Well, that's too bad, replied the officer. You wear a mask or you leave. Again, I refused. I said, I will not leave until I see a doctor. The officer then changed his ultimatum and said, either I arrest you or you leave. And I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me. Would you like my hands behind my back? Yes. And he proceeded to handcuff me, where I was escorted to the special family room in the back my regular room where I would be met with a physician and assessed. It was not very long, only a matter of minutes before a lady doctor came and poked her head in. She asked, is it okay? Am I safe to enter? Me sitting there with my hands handcuffed behind my back, kind of smirked and said, yes, you're fine. So she came in. There was not much dialogue between us. There was no assessment, really. Uh, there was a few questions. I can't recall what they were. But the ultimate result was I was formed again. I went to the hospital once again to try and voluntarily place myself under their care where they would not allow me to, but yet in turn forced me to involuntarily stay. This was not a true trip to the asylum or the psychiatric hospital, which I call the asylum. This time I would stay on the sixth floor. They had a little section of the sixth floor, a tiny hallway for the psychiatric ward. This was for their most dangerous and uh, worrisome cases. I wouldn't go up there until about 36 hours into my stay though, however. I had showed up at around 11.30 in the morning. I was not fed lunch. I was not fed dinner. I was not fed breakfast. The next day I asked, could I have some lunch? I was not fed lunch again. I was told, sorry, they didn't prepare enough food. I would not be fed dinner that evening either. So
so I missed out on lunch, a dinner, a breakfast, a lunch, and another dinner. Between the family room and the sixth floor, I was brought to an ER wait or ER room, I suppose. Where moments later they would transfer me to my special room with that special door that had me ever so curious what was behind that door. Why did they move me back into this room again specifically after placing me in another room? And it was within a matter of moments when the first nurse came in here to how all they were. So I took them. And a couple hours had passed. Again, came in another nurse. Here, two more Haldol. I'm not sure how much Haldol or drugs they gave me. But I was so sedated, I didn't realize until the second evening that over 36 hours had passed and I had just laid there in the ER room on the bed in the middle of the room with the weird sensors and the weird door. Finally, the second evening, they moved me up to the sixth floor where I realized how terrible it was. I assumed it would be an improvement from the psychiatric hospital. It would be better than the asylum, but it wasn't. There was one hallway, really just half a hallway, about 200 feet you could pace back and forth. No TV room, no stimulation whatsoever. And on top of it all, as a tease, there were giant windows in the room where you could see outside and see all the people free, driving and walking and bright sunlight and big blue sky and the clouds. And freedom was just on the other side of that window. But you couldn't have it. You could barely leave your room. The purpose of an involuntary hold or a Form 1 is to do a psychiatric assessment. I was not met by any nurse, doctor, psychiatrist, or any medical specialist for the three days I stayed there. On the third day, two hours before my 72-hour hold was released, finally a psychiatrist appeared. His name was Dr. Jordan. I had met him once before struck me as an odd fellow, different than the other psychiatrists. I could tell behind his mask he was smiling. He asked how I was feeling. I said, okay. His initial assessment after a couple of questions was that I was fit to take care of myself and to be released from the hospital. This was a great relief. I was positive they were going to hold me for two weeks. And I thought in this hellhole with nothing to do, no patients to talk to, this was the type of psychiatric hospital, this ward where they locked patients in the room for 23 hours a day, if not more. I could see across the hall, which was separated, where patients were banging their heads against the wall circling the room just around the walls as if trying not to touch the center of the floor doing odd 
behave just like that. I thought this is where they placed me. How sick am I? I just came for help so I wouldn't hurt myself. The last question the doctor asked was if I would like the vaccination for the COVID-19 disease or the coronavirus. I thought this will get me out quicker. I said, sure, he said. Well, then you're going to have to stay a couple more days. I replied, well, that's okay, never mind. And, and I could tell behind his mask, he had a little chuckle. I said, okay. I spent the next two hours getting dressed and then pacing the hall as the time ticked and talked. <laughs> Counted down those last two hours. Finally, the 72 hours had elapsed and I was free to leave. This would be my last experience with the medical system. Every time I had reached out for help, they had only done more damage and more trauma. Nothing therapeutic, no diagnostics. They had simply said, oh, there's a problem with your head, and you do drugs? Okay, check off this box, check off that box, put him in this box, put him in that box, place him in the psychiatric ward where we'll just drug him and warehouse him until his mind is clear and we'll send him on his way with no follow-up care. That was my experience time and time again. Even when I did get follow-up care, it was once every six weeks, a 10-minute phone conversation where, hi, how are you doing? How much drugs are you doing? Okay, that's bad, you shouldn't be doing any. I'll talk to you again in six weeks. Initially, it was a month, but after the first few visits, it turned into two months and then changed to six weeks. So. That was my third and final stay at what I would call the asylum. Or the psychiatric department of health sciences Norris. I had now experienced both the hospital and the ward for special patients. The end. <laughs>